Word hunters. Word hunters. Left. Left. Right. Right. Off center. All right. Welcome to Word Hunters podcast. I'm here today with Derek Kiever, and basically I'm going to interview him. This is so our listeners can get a little uh, background information on the two of us. Uh, Tomorrow, Derek will interview me, but I'm going to jump right into our interview. So first of all, Derek, can you uh, introduce yourself and maybe start with a little bit of your background, your start with the childhood maybe? All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Brent. Um, Well, first let me say uh, thanks to uh, Brent for uh, initiating this and Getting this, getting the ball rolling. This is uh, we've been talking about this for a while, so um, it's uh, it's great to finally get this started. Um, so yeah, so I'm Derek. Um, I um, from North Carolina originally. Um, so I grew up in North Carolina, small town. Um, you know, about ten thousand people. A town called Forest City, North Carolina. Um, a pretty uh, a pretty dead town now at the moment. It's uh, it's uh, you know it's it's a textile town, um, so you know the, the the town itself came built was built up around textile, the te- you know textile factories during that sort of migration um, in the early 20th century. So, um, but you know once those textile factories left, it became you know very depressed. So. You know, and not a you know, it's certainly not a you know. Even by the time I was in high school, you know, it was you know, it was pretty a pretty dead town. Everybody was sort of looking for a way out, you know, like and you know so. Uh, and I you know I left too after after high school, um, and uh, haven't really lived there since. Um, but yeah, so I'm from North Carolina. My childhood was you know I, I was pretty active. I you know I played a lot of sports. I started out playing baseball, then uh, moved into basketball, and I kind of obsessed with basketball um, until I uh, yeah, until I graduated. So I spent you know a lot of lot of time practicing and playing basketball. And um, I guess the other you know major theme that stands out is you know like feeling a kind of, you know, existential dread, I guess, because like growing up, I grew up in a very uh, fundamentalist Christian household. So, um, you know, like, kind of, you know, having this kind of fire and brimstone, my, my uh, family's actually Pentecostal. So having this kind of fire and brimstone rhetoric at, you know, coming at you all the time and sort of being forced to, you know, into the church community. Um, you know, so I, you know, even you know, at that time, I I kind of felt that, you know, it didn't something didn't quite fit. You know, like it, it, there seemed to be more out there than just, you know, what the church was 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 teaching. So, and, so when you finished high school, then <coughs> did, you, did you go straight to university? Yeah, so I went straight to university, so, and I think, <coughs> I, th- I think that it's what um, sort of led me into. You know, philosophy and religious studies okay. um, is that background of being, you know, just kind of trying to figure out, you know, what's going on and, and like, 
you know, trying to... What is this thing called life? Yeah, <laughs> right. So, and you went to school in North Carolina as well, university? I did. I went to the University of North Carolina, That's yeah. That's Chapel Hill. So. Uh, Greensboro, actually. Greensboro. I, went to, I went to Greensboro. It's just, you know, it's a liberal arts, small liberal arts school okay. in Greensboro. All right, good. When, when was the last time you lived in North Carolina? Um... I moved back actually, so I went to, I left, uh, I went to university, I graduated in 96, and then I went back, uh, and I left, and I went to Korea, and that's when I started teaching abroad, and then I met my wife, and my wife and I decided to go back there for a while, and meet my family, and you know, and then we wound up staying for a few years, so the last time I lived there was, well, I left in 2008, after I finished my master's, so I was there from... Uh, for about four years, two thousand, you know, so right. right around two thousand eight is when I left this last time. So probably two thousand four to two thousand eight, I was there in the U.S. All right. So I know you, you're an EFL teacher, um, but you, you're also a teacher trainer. Um, can you, you know, outline a little bit about your career? Like, how, how did you get into the field, and then um, what made you decide to take the next step and, and get into teacher training as well? Um, I think, as I mentioned, you know, like the, you know, I was drawn to religious studies to try and make some kind of sense out of things, you know, growing up in this, you know, background. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that drew me to philosophy and, and religious studies. And um, in those, in the religious studies programs, uh, and philosophy, I guess, nowadays as well, the, the programs tend to be very small. The, 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 num the faculties is very small, but very, you know, generally quite, uh, you know, very scholarly, very, you know, this is, so like, there's, it's very competitive. So you get very interesting and very, um, you know, very good uh, teachers in these faculties. But I had one, um, I had a couple of professors, and the way that they organized the class, um, made, you know, was, was, in, was, in, was interesting to me. And I was thinking like, oh, okay, so, you know, by, for example, we'd have classes where we would go off and read a text, come back and sit around in groups and discuss the text and talk about it, maybe have, maybe with a couple of focal questions. So I was like, oh, well, this is interesting because, you know, most of your education is, you know, it's kind of teacher-fronted, it's, um, you know, kind of this transmissive model of learning. You just kind of sit and taking things in. And, but then, but, you know, I saw this and I was like, oh, well, that, that's interesting. And I had other professors who had different ways of, you know, kind of leading information out of students and getting people to think, um, teaching people how, how to think, not so much what to think, but how to think. So, you know, so those, that kind of gave, that, you know, that, piqued my interest in the classroom and you know you know the potentials of what you can do in the classroom as, a, te as a teacher as a teacher right, right. and um, yeah so that's kind of why I, and at that point like I knew like that I was probably going to be somehow involved in education and because I, I mean frankly I didn't know what the hell else to do and I wasn't really interested in anything else I wasn't interested in selling anything um, and I couldn't, there was nothing really that I could get behind, you know, in terms of like a business. So I was like, you know, I, I, I can, you know, I can, you know, this is a, you know, about the, the best that I can, you know, I think it's trying to help people learn something and learn, you know, being around people that are interested in learning 
um, you know, is something that attractive. Kind of, that is attractive. Yeah, is an interesting, interesting avenue. Good deal. So, when did you first um, start teaching language? Um, well, I left uh, university in '96, and I had friends in South Korea, and uh, they were like, "Oh, yeah, come on over. You can get a job here very easily." So, back in the you know in the mid '90s. There were loads of, you know, these private language institutes called Hagwons yeah. in Korea. And uh, he said, come on over, you can find a job pretty easily. So I decided to, so I just like kind of just up and left. I was actually in a master's program at that time. And I just was just kind of sick of studying and, you know, I didn't really want to, you know, be a, be a student anymore at that point. So I just kind of was up a, and left so fairly abruptly. So it was a, a break at the originally, or, or that was, was that a clean break, or you were just taking a break in your... Well, this was a different program. This was a Master of Arts in Liberal Studies. Right. So this was different to the my current, you know, to the to teaching degree okay. that I have. And did you did you finish that, or did you? I didn't finish it. No, okay. I just kind of abruptly sort of left. I quit the program and like got on a plane and went to Korea. That's that's interesting because I I didn't know that about you. You know, we've we've known each other now for a couple of years, and and I knew you were in Korea, but I didn't realize that was the first first uh, experience overseas. That's right. Um, yeah, but, but, I, but I've heard that kind of similar story before. People start out in language uh, language programs. You said ha Hakuan? Hagwan, yeah. Hagwan. Uh, Hagwan is the Korean thing. word for private language school. Private language school. Okay, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I did the same thing. We'll talk about that maybe tomorrow, but uh, here in Japan, so... Yeah, so I started out. So I started out teaching at a, at a really small private language school, mostly kids, you know, from primary to middle, primary to high school, and you know, a, a couple of adult classes in the evenings. And then eventually, eventually, you thought, well, I, I need to get some theory behind this, or I need to get a, a degree yeah, well, that, if I want to do anything. Yeah, well, I think if I were to divide my career up, it would be sort of in those, you know, like in three stages. The first one was just kind of teaching without any real training, just kind of jumping in and just trying to figure things out. And um, and so that, so I taught in Korea for until about 2002. And then um, I got my uh, CELTA. So that, you know, getting it, so my, the CELTA was my first you know, that was my first kind of professional development. And so I got my CELTA certificate in Thailand, actually. And um, and so then, like, post-CELTA, you know, that's when I, I mean, I, I went to Japan. So after Korea, teaching in Korea, I went to Japan. And I taught for a year in, in Japan. And... Um, Did you teach it all in Thailand, or it was just studying? I did teach in, I, te I taught in Thailand, okay. but that was afterwards. After, so, after you finished the certificate? So after I finished my CELTA, I taught in Japan for a while, and then we went to the U.S., and um, I worked in a, um, um, a technical school okay. in the U.S. I taught um, ESL for three or four years uh, in Chapel Hill. Okay. And... Um, yeah, then I guess the next stage of my career would be um, yeah, getting a master's and then like post-master's work. So after I finished my master's, I moved, pretty much moved directly into teacher training. Okay. Uh, so I started doing CELTA training in Thailand. So my family, we moved to Thailand, to Bangkok, mm -hmm. and uh, I moved into teacher training pretty much straight away. 
Um, you know, so I, I, start, I uh, trained up to be a CELTA trainer. I see. I started running CELTA courses. You, you said you got the CELTA in Thailand er, earlier. I got my CELTA in 2003, yes. And at that time, were you teaching English in Thailand? Um, I wasn't teaching, no. I oh, just so went, you were actually just went okay. to... Get the well, my, well, my wife's parents were living in Thailand. Okay. So we went there and, you know, so we had a place to stay. And, uh, you know, she stayed with her parents and, and I just worked and did the CELTA for the month. All right, good, good, good. Okay, and uh, how, how about now? So what, I, know, I know you're working, we we're working together, but uh, what's, your, what's your teaching load? Now. Yeah, well, um, well, I worked in, uh, you know, I did teacher training for, you know, in, in Thailand. Then I went to, I left Thailand. Um, it's an interesting story about Thailand because I left Thailand basically because I was, I was quite happy in Bangkok. Mm -hmm. And um, the, uh, basically left because of the, the political upheavals there and the, and the demonstrations. The, um, I don't know if you know, you know, in Thailand you have the red shirts yes. and the yellow shirts, the royalists and the, the red shirts. The red shirts are the, um, basically the kind of working class, kind of populist right. movement. So these and, and the royalists are, are the yellow shirts. So the, basically, the the red shirts moved into basically came into Bangkok and took over. They're like a military base or something, right? Well, they, no, they took over the central uh, central business district okay. in Bangkok, and my office happened to be inside of the area where they took over. Okay. And so you got like thousands of people, and they blocked off, you know, this like four or five blo square block area, and they just took over it. And you know, they like had like security. Uh, they set up security, so you had to go through security to get in, and so basically, and so so, and like the then the the government, the military, um, hadn't decided either way because there was a there was a general who was you know pro this pro movement pro red shirt right, and he was uh, he was very popular among the people, and I think he was probably from Isan, like north. Thailand, which right. is where a lot of these people came down from. Right. And um, so, but this general was head of their security. And, um, you know, so, so like the military, you know, just like they were wavering. They didn't, they didn't choose a side. So, you know, like this protest went on for like probably a month or so. And like, finally, it was one day, I remember the day I was sitting at home and like um, about, you know, two or three blocks from my house, this uh, like from up in at one of the one of the uh, hotels, this uh, sniper took this general out just south of um, I don't know if you know Bangkok, but Lumpini Park. Sure, sure. Lumpini right Park. Middle, yeah, yeah it's big. You know, right central part, like just south of it. He was, you know, this general was, you know, making rounds, I guess, inspecting, secure, talking to people and stuff. But yeah, he was assassinated. Right. And like. After that point, once he was out of the way, the Thai government moved in and just swept the red shirts out. I mean, they were gone within a week. Right. There was a few kind of alt, you know, uh, confrontations, but um, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, but it was over. It was done in you know a week or so. And, and your, uh, your family had already decided to, to move by that well, time? Well, I didn't. I mean, we, we hadn't, no. But the thing is, like, when the red shirts left, 
this central business district area, as I said, my office was, was in one of the buildings. And when the red shirts retreated, they basically set on everything on fire. Oh. They just burnt out all of these like really expensive shopping malls and all these buildings. And my building, you know, ha- you know, was burnt out as well. So like we didn't have a location anymore. We were doing, you know, Celta courses. They had language classes there as well. So at that point, we didn't have a uh, a center to work at anymore. So we kind of had to work in Chiang Mai. We had centers in Chiang Mai, Phuket, Phuket, and Bangkok. And uh, without that flagship center in Bangkok, we just couldn't couldn't really get enough candidates. And everybody started going to IH Bangkok, mm-hmm. which was another CELTA center. Okay. And uh, yeah, so we just couldn't never, you know, and I had to live and I had to like constantly travel, you know, between Chiang Mai and Phuket and the family was in Bangkok and it just didn't, you know, it was just too much of a strain. Sure. So um, I, I moved to China and I got this, this gig in China, which was quite interesting, which was not CELTA, but it was training local teachers, right? Uh, which is quite fascinating. Um, it was actually probably the biggest teacher training project ever. I mean, we trained pretty much every uh, school teacher, primary to high school. We got some kind of training, every language teacher in, Sh- in the Shanghai. Pretty much, pretty much all of them. I mean, we're talking about thousands of, t- of teachers got some kind of language training. I think the total was, I think it was something like 1,500 teachers, maybe 1,900 teachers total. And but a huge teacher training just, project. Just Shanghai City or just was Shanghai, not, yeah. not, not neighboring areas? Well, or? that was Shanghai. It started in Shanghai and okay. then it kind of spilled over once other, uh, the ministries, you know, we, we sold these courses to other ministries as well okay. after we had after so we had, you were look, working for a company um, at that time? I was working for a company that, um, it was a British-Chinese joint company. Okay. Um, and it was, yeah, an international house okay. uh, provided the uh, educational support All right. when we first started. Okay. But we were, doing, we were doing like Cambridge courses and also in-house teacher training courses. They were all, you know, basic, just teaching sort of basic uh, communicative language teaching skills, right. basically. Yeah. So that was so that was China. Then I left China and went to New Zealand, and I did some teacher training and also some teaching at uh, Auckland University. Right. So I was there for three years, and then um, you know, so now I'm here in Japan. I'm doing you know, I'm teaching um, you know at the main campus and here at uh, Cube in Nishinomiya, so Okamoto, the Okamoto campus in uh, in uh, Kobe. Right on. So, how about outside of the classroom? What what gets you excited these days, or what's what are I know I know you're you're a health nut. I know that because um, I'm usually struggling to keep up with you on the trails or on the on the cycles. Um, but yeah, what else what else lights your fire these days? Uh, um, I've been going down these. Well, I've been watching a lot. Of, I mean, I like documentaries. So I find uh, documentaries, you know, a very an interesting way to get, you know, a, a, a range of perspectives on world events because, it, um, you know, the best documentaries are, are independent and they, you know, they allow the the directors and the producers to have their own voice. Right. Um, kind of like so podcasting. Been, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I've been. Um, 
you know, that's something, that's a constant with me, you know. I've generally got a, a list of, of documentaries that I, that I, you know, that I work through. Um, you know, so recently, for instance, I've watched um, this interesting thing. I think it's Netflix, maybe. Either Netflix or HBO called The Anarchists. Okay. Uh, which is about an, an anar- you know, the, an anarchist group that sort of, you know, set up shop down in um, uh, Acapulco, New Me- uh, Mexico. And uh, that's a really interesting kind of uh, practical, it's, it's kind of shows you how, you know, what, an, what anarchy would look like on paper. And it, it shows the evolution of this group. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. And uh, I paired that with uh, another video we've talked about, another documentary we've talked about on um, the uh, 1999 Woodstock right. train wreck. Train wreck. Yeah. So, so they're very, they're very interestingly similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're two interesting ones to watch together. So that's a couple of things. And um, uh, what else? So that's so uh, I've been also, you know, kind of going down a rabbit hole of of the Pacific War. Right. We've talked uh, about World that a few times as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been really, you know, kind of doing a dive on on that, you know, with you know documentaries and film, and I'm reading a trilogy called um, um, it's by Ian Ian Toll. It's a trilogy. Um, it's two thousand pages or something, but uh, very detailed accounts of, of right. the whole war, starting from Pearl Harbor all the way up to. Yeah, that was kind of my next question. What kind of what do you what books do you like, or what, what kind of reading do you do? So, um. yeah, well, I've been reading that currently, um, and uh, I mean, part of that interest comes out of you know a course that I'm teaching on Oceania. Oh. So that's been a, a focus. Yeah, we should we should dedicate um, a future episode to just talk about that course. I'd like to find out more about how you did. And I, I know I visited one time and talked about Hawaii, so mm. we can we can talk about that more tomorrow. Mm, sure. Um, maybe two more questions. I was thinking um, about uh, podcast. What are some of the podcasts you like to listen to regularly? Is there anything that you uh, have in your uh, list of things that you listen to every week or regularly? Um, well, listen to there's a few things. I like uh, like recently I've been listening to this guy called uh, Andrew Huberman, mm-hmm. who is a uh, neuroscientist at. Stanford, and you know his mission is to sort of uh, provide a kind of a public service and present uh, research on you know neuroscience uh, to the public, um, and he does it you know free of charge outside of his you know work at Stanford. So it's just kind of a I guess a labor of love. Um, so he's quite interesting in in terms of you know just bringing about you know just presenting tools that you know that are backed by the science to help people have more productive lives does does any of that stuff uh, kind of influence or connect directly to teaching or specifically your teaching no just in terms of like you know me you know maintaining my health and okay (laughs) i think it's more about you know just like getting tips for you know, staying healthy. So, like, he's very, for instance, he's very big into uh, circadian rhythms and light. So, like, one of the things that he's been talking about a lot is the importance of getting, 
sunlight right. early in the morning. So mm-hmm. the first thing, you know, to basically set your your rhythms, right. getting that sunlight in your eyes the first thing. And apparently, it's been you know it's through the research that's shown to like create you know to, to enhance energy levels. Some good healthy it, healthy habit. Yeah, it's a healthy habit because it basically sets your your body rhythms. Right. You know, so your body is you know gets into this rhythm of realizing that oh sun's out in my eyes time to get up you know and then like you know after 12 hours or whatever okay now it's time to sleep so you know so you're so you're getting into this you know rhythm of of being awake and sleeping good good and so on so i think you you introduced me to vin hoff as well well so yeah the breathing at the breathe you know vim hoff is is quite interesting yeah like so the breathing um Maybe he's another uh, target for for interview. I, I I wonder if we can get him. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, to get him on. Um. Uh. Yeah. I. I mean. I like. You know. I listen to some stuff. Some of Joe Rogan's clips. Sometimes I find some of his. Uh, you know, interviews. I like his approach. I like the way that you know he's very just open to, to talking to anyone. So he's not. You know, like. Uh, he doesn't restrict himself to talking to just people on the left or just people on the right. Good. You know, he's very open to talking to, to anyone, uh, which is, you know, something I think we, you know, uh, are trying to do, you know, like not a lot, not restricting ourselves to any particular political or ideology, but, you know, being open to, you know, to a range of ideas. And Indeed, indeed. Let me, let me finish up. At, with a question about your family, so just uh, can you do a real quick introduction of your of your family. Uh, yeah, so well, I've got um, two daughters and a son. Uh, my wife is from Japan, from Takatsuki, from the Kansai region. Um, and we've been married since two thousand and two, so about twenty years now. Uh, my daughters are all of my kids are going to school here. Uh, my youngest daughter is in just a, a local public school, and she's 11. My daughter is going to a, a private school, girls' school. Uh, she's uh, year three, so she'll be in high school next year. So she's in middle school now. And my son is um, in the second year of high school, and he's a big on rugby, right? He's a rugby player, yeah. yeah so good. Yeah, so that's. Um, that's that's them. Yeah. Well, good. Well, maybe we look forward to finding out more about them. You know, and maybe we can get um, them uh, into the studio and and have them uh, do an interview as well sometime in the future. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, look forward to keeping this uh, podcast going for for a while. And uh, it's just been a, a pleasure uh, meeting you and then talking to you today and finding out more. All right. Thanks a lot, Brent. Thanks a bunch. Word hunters. Word hunters. Left. Left. Right. Right. Off center.